you have your Bibles with you, let us turn to John chapter 10. This morning we're going to look at the first 21 verses of John chapter 10. We hear from the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who we just sang to and about. This is part of his ministry here when he was on this earth. Listen as I read. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, He is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters me, through me, rather, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. A division occurred among the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, He has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? 
Others were saying, these are not the sayings of one demon-possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? Our Father, as we gather this morning, as we have sung your praise, and now as we look into your word, would you fill us with your spirit and remind us of your love and your care for us, that we have a shepherd. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's the time of year when people like to travel, do a little camping, especially here in Colorado. As you look around, you see quite a few empty seats, and I think some of our brothers and sisters are camping even now. And as they walk around to the different uh, parts of the campsites where there are warnings about for the, the, the dangers that lurk here in Colorado... You, you've been there, no doubt. You occasionally see the warning of what to do when there are bears, right? We've got to watch out for bears here in Colorado. Uh, Bob Frank can tell you what to do with bears. I heard him teach uh, the, the kids this a long time ago. You take your pair of pliers and just grab them by the nose. Isn't that, uh, isn't that right? Yeah, that's how you take care of bears. Or occasionally you'll see the sign of what to do with mountain lions, Apparently, you're supposed to lay down and play dead with bears. You know who came up with that guideline? The bears. <laughs> but with mountain lions, you're supposed to become big and scare off the mountain lions. And then you'll see warnings what to do with rattlesnakes when, uh, if you get bit by a rattlesnake, that kind of thing. So we've got, we got these creatures on here we have to be careful with. You know what I've never seen on one of those signs? Beware of the lamb. Right? I've never seen any warning or any teaching on what to do if you encounter a little sheep. Why is that? Because nobody's afraid of sheep. Maybe big horn sheep. You might want to keep your distance a little bit there. But little lambs, little sheep that are belong in a, in a flock of sheep. Yeah, nobody's afraid of them. Why? Because they're not fierce. They're not strong. They're not intimidating. Uh, they're not really smart compared to other animals. Uh, sheep wander off away from the safety of the shepherd and the other sheep, and when they get off by themselves, they are easy pickings for, for the predator. And they wander off and get away from the food supply and the water. They need a shepherd. They need someone to care for them and protect them. That's why the shepherd has the rod and the staff, to, the rod to throw at the wolves and knock them away, and the staff to pick them up when they get too close to the edge or in danger and that kind of thing. Sheep need shepherds. And, and you know already where this is going, right? One of God's favorite metaphors for his people is we're sheep. We're sheep. He's not calling us dumb. Although sometimes he's not calling us dumb, but we are in regular danger of wandering off from the place that is safe. We're in regular danger wandering off from where we can be fed well and taken care of. And yet what we see throughout the scripture is God always provides a shepherd or shepherds for his flock. He cares for his people. He has always cared for his people. One place early on in the scripture where we encounter this idea 
is back in the book of Numbers. I'm sure you all have the book of Numbers memorized because you love this book. And there's more than just numbers in the book of Numbers. There's, uh, there's some great stories in, in there as well. And in Numbers, as the people of Israel are getting close to the promised land, and Moses is going to lead them to the edge where they're going to finally enter Canaan's land, Moses says this to the Lord. He says, May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who will go out and come in before them and who will lead them out and bring them in so that the congregation of the Lord will not be like sheep which have no shepherd. Moses here is concerned. He knows his time is coming to an end. And as the the people of God go into the land of Israel, he says, Lord, provide a shepherd and lead your people in and out and take care of them and guide them. Now, how many of you know who the man appointed to shepherd God's people is after Moses? Who is it? Joshua. How many of you know what the Greek name for the Hebrew name Joshua is? What's the Greek name? Jesus. You see what's going on here? There's foreshadowing. There's a picture of the shepherd who will come someday. So God does. He raises up Joshua, and Joshua cares for and leads the sheep of Israel. Fast forward several hundred years, and now Israel uh, has become a great nation, but they've sinned against God, and he's divided them, and, and they've, God has given them many, many shepherds, the priests and other leaders. And we come to Ezekiel's prophecy, and Ezekiel has some very, very strong words for the shepherds of God's people. And, and this is not just Ezekiel, it's all over, it's Isaiah, Zechariah, other places, but Ezekiel 34 is maybe the most pointed. Listen as I read, these are, these are the words that God tells Ezekiel to say to the people of Israel, especially to their shepherds. Thus says the Lord God, woe, shepherds of Israel. Just for you horse people, I need to clarify, woe there is not stop. Woe is a pronouncement of curse. God is now uttering a curse against the shepherds of Israel. Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity, You have dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth, and there was no one to search or seek for them. 
says, you were given a job as shepherds to care for, to feed, to protect my sheep, and you've ignored them. You've eaten the ones that you wanted to, and you haven't fed the others, and they are scattered all over the place, and they're in danger. And God says, woe to you, shepherds of my people. I will punish you for failing to take care of my sheep. But then God says, I'm not going to allow my sheep to be without a shepherd, without a good shepherd. Notice how many times in this next section God speaks of himself. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among the scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy day and a gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture, and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down in good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will lead them to rest." declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. God says, I will not leave my flock to die and be unprotected and starve. I will go get them. I will feed them. I will bring them back. When, Lord, when will you do this? Listen to what he says. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he will feed them. And he will feed them himself and be their shepherd and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make a covenant of peace with them and eliminate harmful beasts from the land so that they may live securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. I will make them and the places around my hill a blessing. Did you catch it? God says, I will come and shepherd them through my servant, David. And everybody will have one shepherd. Now, all of this was in the background of Jewish thinking when Jesus appears in the scene. And Jesus shows up and says, I am the good shepherd. In contrast to the wicked shepherds. Now remember what we saw last week in John chapter 9. Jesus healed a man who had been born blind. And what did the shepherds of Israel do with this man who had been born blind? He comes running in, he's celebrating, gets drugged in by the others to the Pharisees, and they say, look, this man was born blind and now he can see. And what did the Pharisees do? Wait, who, who did this? Jesus. Oh, we know Jesus. He's not of God. When did Jesus heal him? On the Sabbath? Clearly not of God. How did he do this? Oh, he kneaded the mud like kneading dough? That's against our law. He's not of God. Here's this man who just received his sight. 
And the Pharisees don't care. They're the bad shepherds, the evil shepherds, the wicked shepherds, fleecing the sheep. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. So let's look into our text here. First, Jesus says, starting in verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he's a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes out ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger, they simply will not follow but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. It's a, it's a pretty common metaphor in Jesus' day. It's not such a common metaphor in our day. Uh, we don't hang out with sheep very much. I'm assuming none of you are or ever have been shepherds. Does anybody even know a shepherd? Really? Like, I'm not talking a pastor here. I'm talking like a real sheep shepherd. Okay, good. Well, for the uninitiated like me, I had to read up on this. So what was common practice in that day was, you know, the shepherd would take his sheep out to the uh, rich pasture, and then at night would bring them back into kind of a community pen, a large, what called sheep fold, and several families, several different shepherds would put their sheep in, uh, in that pen, and they would hire a doorkeeper, a guard, to watch all of the sheep through the night so that wolves didn't come in or thieves come in and that kind of thing. The next day, the shepherd would come, and he would have a special call that, uh, a whistle or something, a noise he would make, and his sheep knew that was their noise, and, and they would follow him out when, when he led. Uh, think about our nursery. This is where my mind goes. Think about our nursery. Our nursery is a pen, <laughs> and a bunch of different families have our kids in that pen, and we have nursery workers there who guard the door. So if my kids were younger, and they're in the, in the sheep pen, the pig pen, the nursery pen, uh, after the service, I would go, and the, the people serving the nursery know who I am. And so they would allow me to call my children. If anybody tried to sneak in one of the doors or the windows, suddenly they would raise a ruckus. We'd get people out there to, make, to, to, to take care because if they're coming in the side door or the window or something, they're not supposed to be there. That's not what parents do. Parents go, say, I'm here to pick up my kids, and all I had to do is say my children's names, something like, let's go, Goodens, and my kids, and none of your kids, but my kids would go with me. Right? You know how that works. That's the idea. The shepherd shows up, he calls out, his, he makes his call, and he has names for his sheep, and he calls them, and out they come, and the rest of the sheep stay there. The rest of the sheep, if they're not his sheep, they don't go because that shepherd is a stranger. So they don't go with the stranger. Think about what this means for us. Jesus here is describing the experience that every Christian in this room has had. You were in the fold, you were in a group, you were among all the rest of the people, and at some point in your life, Jesus showed up, and he called your name, and you heard his voice, and he led you out, and you followed him. Oh, he may have used a pastor or preacher, 
He may have used a Sunday school teacher or a parent or an evangelist or somebody on TV. Who knows? He, he has all kinds of different means, but at some point in your life, the good shepherd called you by name and you followed him. You heard his voice. Said that wait, that that's my shepherd. And he knows you intimately. He has a name for you. And when he goes, you go with him. Where he leads, we follow. Notice what he says in verse 16. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. See, he's appealing back to Ezekiel 34, saying, I'm the fulfillment of this. The fold, the original fold, was, was Israel, Judaism. But Jesus says, I have sheep in other folds. That's the Gentiles. That's us. Almost all of us, if not all of us, were Gentiles, and Jesus came to your sheepfold and called you by name. And you left everything to follow him. And he's been doing that for 2,000 years now. And notice what he says in verse 14. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Jesus knows us intimately. This is not omniscience. This is not uh, he read your Facebook bio. This is not he just happens to know everything there is to know about you and me. Whenever the Bible talks about knowledge between individuals, between people, that knowledge is more than just intellectual information. It's love. It's love. Jesus says, I know, meaning I love my sheep, and my sheep love me, even as I know the Father, and the Father knows me. Do you realize, I know you know this in your head, but do you, in the, in the core of your being, understand the good shepherd knows you and loves you? Has there ever been somebody in your life that you really wished that they knew you? You know, we're a celebrity culture, right? Is there somebody, maybe in your younger, more immature days, when you thought, oh, I wish, I wish that celebrity would recognize me? Or you ever have a junior high crush? The first person I really, really wanted to know me was Kathy David. Junior high. Oh, man, I, I made myself knowable in junior high whenever she was in the hallway or something. I did all the crazy things to try to get her attention, never paid attention to me. One day, I will never forget, I'm sitting on Kathy's front porch. Kathy's there too, by the way. And right next to her is my friend Bill. Kathy knew Bill. The only reason I was there was because I was Bill's friend. Kathy didn't know me. I so wanted to be known by her. She didn't know me. I'm not sure she actually did know my name, come to think of it. Oh, I wanted to be known by her. 
We look back on it and think, you know, that's just silly. And, and if you've ever been mesmerized by a celebrity and think, oh, I wish, wish I could get to know them. And now you look back and think, that's just, that's just dumb. They're just people. Why would we make a big deal of other human beings like that? But there is one person that the thought of them knowing us ought to touch us, ought to reach us in the, the deepest part of our soul. The Lord Jesus Christ, God himself, knows you by name. And he loves you. And he cares about you. See, we so often, so God knows everybody, right? And then the church is huge. There are millions and millions, maybe billions of Christians when you put Adam all up together. Yes, that's true. And we must not become conceited and think it's all about us, but let's not miss this significance either. He called you by name. He loves you. That's what Jesus says. Pretty easy metaphor, right? You get it. You understand what he's saying so far? If you do, you're way ahead of the Pharisees. Verse 6, this figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what things he'd been saying to them. Now, it's not that they couldn't understand the metaphor, but they couldn't understand what it meant about Jesus and what it meant for them. Why? Because they weren't his, and they couldn't hear his voice. So Jesus changes the metaphor a little bit. Verse 7, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So he changes the, uh, the metaphor just a little bit. So when the, the shepherd would take the sheep out and, and if they didn't come back to the main pen, then he would sort of make a, a makeshift pen, uh, pull together some, some scraps of wood and things, and then as the gate, he himself would lay down as the gate or as the door, and the, the sheep would not cross over him. They would stay in the pen, and he would protect them from uh, the, the predators outside, and that's the imagery now Jesus is using. I'm that door itself. The only way the sheep get in or out is through Do you hear echoes of what I read to you from Numbers 27? Oh, God, would you appoint over your people a shepherd to lead them in and lead them out? Jesus says, I am that shepherd. The sheep go in and out through me. Our only access to the green pastures, our only access to true spiritual food, our only way of real protection from the real enemy is Jesus Christ. That's what he came to do. He came to save us. If you're a sheep, you think being saved from the thieves and the robbers and the wolves. If you're a human being, as we've already talked about in the Lord's Supper this morning, the thing we should be thinking of is how do I escape the wrath of God? That's our greatest enemy. And Jesus says, all who go in and out through me, they are saved. 
Anyone else who has come, they're thieves, they're robbers. They're trying to make something for themselves. Isn't it wonderful to live in a day when there are no shepherds who seek to fleece the flock and just make themselves rich from Christians? Isn't that great that all those kind of shepherds have gone away? Of course, I'm being facetious. They're everywhere in every generation. Now, they have all kinds of media, all kinds of communication devices, ways to broadcast their message to rob and steal from the sheep and to fleece the flock of God and to build their empires. Every pastor needs to heed the warning of Ezekiel 34. God will not simply turn a blind eye to those who are in the role of shepherd who are devouring his sheep. Pastor is simply from the Latin for the word that means shepherd. Pastors are just shepherds. And elders and bishops were all the same role, just different ways of describing the same role. Elders, shepherds, pastors, we need to make sure our mission is to take care of God's flock and not to build up our name or our empire or else we will face the chief shepherd someday and he will call us to account. Jesus here says, I'm the door. Everyone who comes in through me will be saved, will eat of the, the good pasture. And he says, I haven't come to destroy. I've come to give life. Now, if I were one of those imposter shepherds who was just trying to build my empire, this is where I would preach from right here. God has come so that you would have life. Jesus came to give you abundant life. If you're sick, God doesn't want you to be sick. If you're poor, God doesn't want you to be poor. He came to give you life. So just send me your money and God will give you abundant life. It's very easy to appeal to people's temporal desires with this passage and gain a huge following. But Jesus is not talking about filling your bank account. He's not talking about ridding you of all disease. He's not talking about those temporal things. He's talking about resurrection life that does begin now, but it culminates in the next age. What is resurrection life for us now? It's not wealth, it's not health, it's transformation. It's becoming more like our shepherd. It's the Spirit of God bearing fruit in our lives, making us people of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control and those other two I always forget. It's, it's giving us a hunger and thirst for righteousness and holiness. That begins now and that leads to eternal life with him where we will experience every temporal blessing we can possibly imagine. But it's not in the here and now, it's there and then. It begins now in spirit and will become then in, in physical reality in our new bodies and things. But we must keep this in its proper perspective. The abundant life starts with our 
moral and ethical and spiritual transformation. If that doesn't excite you, you need to think about what gospel it is you're believing. And be on guard. There's a lot of shepherds out there that are going to appeal to your felt needs, tickle your ears, as Paul says it. Jesus did not come to tickle your ears. He came to say, following me is hard. I'm, I'm calling you to give up everything for my sake. And in return, I will give you everything your heart desires in the next age. Abundant life is ours because of Christ. He says, I am the good shepherd. And now he says the first of about five times, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The one who's a hired hand and not a shepherd, he's not the owner of the sheep, he sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and not concerned about the sheep. But I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me, even as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus loves you. Yes, he knows your name. Yes, he called you by name. But he also gave his life so that you could be forgiven. All the sins we talked about before we took the Lord's Supper, Jesus had to die to atone for those sins. And he did it willingly. Nobody takes it from him, he says. That's what he goes on and says. Verse 17, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, so I may take it up again. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. Jesus did not come begrudging. He did not, become, he did not come because it was the only possibility, I mean, in a sense, that's true, but it wasn't like, okay, we've tried everything else. I guess I'm going to have to go down there and die. No, this was the plan from the very beginning. Jesus loves you and came willingly and laid down his life for sheep. In the imagery, now, in another context, Jesus is also a sheep. He's the lamb who's slaughtered, right? But in this analogy, he's the shepherd who lays down his life for animals. That's us. We're just sheep. And the shepherd says, I will be killed for the sake of you, sheep. That's how much he loves us. Now, here's a question. What good is a dead shepherd? What good is a dead shepherd? So you're out there, part of the flock, and the wolf comes, and the shepherd says, all right, wolf, come eat me. Is the wolf going to stop with the shepherd? Is that the only wolf out there? What good is a dead shepherd? 
in the metaphor, a dead shepherd's not very much good. That's why the next statement is so important. Verse 17, the Father loves me because I laid down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. He's not going to stay dead. And nobody kills him without his authority, without his approval. And even in death, he has the power and the authority given to him by his father to come back to life so that now he lives to take care of his sheep. That's good news. We cannot stop with the cross. The gospel doesn't stop with the cross. He died to atone for our sins, and then he rose again, and now he's our shepherd. And he wields the rod, and he wields the staff, and he takes care of his sheep. And when we wander off, he takes that staff and he pulls us back. And when the wolves come, he beats them back with his rod. And he feeds us. And you probably know the story about how shepherds have to do sometimes when sheep just keep wandering off, they keep going off path. Shepherds will sometimes go and break the legs of the lamb so they can't walk off anymore. And then the shepherd puts the lamb over his shoulders and walks them back and nurses them to health. Sometimes, beloved, we're so prone to wander that the good shepherd has to break our legs. It hurts, but it's always for our good because he loves us enough to do what it takes to keep us in the fold. He died, but he did not stay dead. He rose from the dead the Father, in fact, gave him this commandment to give his life and to take it up again. Of course, the Jews responded in the way we've already seen. There was a division. Some said, ah, oh, that's nonsense. This guy's clearly demon-possessed. He's clearly crazy. But others said, how can this be? Demon-possessed people don't heal blind men. And there was a debate and division among them. There's no debate here. We're here because we believe Jesus is the good shepherd. We believe he died for us. We believe he rose again. The question I want us to leave with in our head is, do I believe, do you believe he loves you? God is love. Yes, yes, we know. Of course, Jesus loves the world. Bible told me so. Yes, he loves the world. Does he love you? Do you trust that the good shepherd is leading you, is feeding you, is taking you somewhere, is protecting you, is disciplining you when the time comes and is necessary? He knows you. Not with an abstract knowledge, but an intimate, focused knowledge. It will change everything about your day and your life 
if every day you can remember that God's love is not some abstract principle. It's not a general love for everybody. It's a love for you as one of his precious sheep. I'll say this again. I know I, I say this often. I'll say this again. You, you can't look at the cross and deny that Jesus loves you. He laid down his life. He can't show it any better way. Believe it. Let's pray. Our good shepherd, we thank you for your love. Thank you for giving us ears to hear, whether it was a day ago or a year ago or a decade ago or more, ears to hear when you first called us by name and you walked out and we followed you. Thank you for that. Thank you for feeding us. Thank you for loving us enough to discipline us when we tend to wander off. Oh, great shepherd, I ask for my brothers and sisters here, for my fellow sheep, all of whom I know struggle now and then to truly believe and grasp your love. Would you today confirm in each of our hearts your great love for us? Remind us that you still know our name, that you're still leading. And give us the faith and the courage and the steadfastness to follow you no matter where you lead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.